This week on the podcast, two separate, very experienced cave divers have been recovered after they died exploring separate underwater cave systems. Dan Europe has activated a new way to get in contact with them in emergencies, and Historic England are implementing a new theft deterrent on valuable artifacts on shipwrecks. So first up, the body of diver Brett Hempill, who went missing during an exploratory dive in Phantom Springs Cave in West Texas on the 4th of October, has been recovered by members of his own cast underwater research dive team. So Hempill, who was 56, and his fellow divers had set out to explore a lead about 2.2 kilometers into the system, starting at 135 meters. Um, I say starting at 135 as if that's a small thing. Um, he was last seen on video tying off the guideline on a rock at a US record breaking depth of 174 meters. But after that, he and the other divers had become separated. The Kerr team had stated that the effort to find and extract Hempel would involve the assistance of a number of recovery divers, in some cases travelling thousands of miles to the site. Led by Kerr director Andy Pitkin, the team found their colleague at a depth of more than 135 metres on the evening on the 8th of October. In a statement, from Pitkin after the recovery mission, he said, when we have got all of the information and analyzed it, we will issue a statement about the instance that will answer everyone's questions. Until then, please allow some time to come to terms with his loss, as up until now, we have been focused on the recovery. Hempel and Kerr divers had set the US deep underwater cave record at Wiki Wat. Chi Cave Springs in uh, in Florida in 2008 before breaking their own record in 2013 with 140 meter descent and two and a half kilometer penetration also at Phantom Springs. These are the United States deepest natural caves and they're also very challenging for divers because of the complexity of the flooded passages and sometimes strong currents as well that they have to contend with. Hempel was president of the Florida-based KUR, and he and the team are very well known in the cave diving community for their success in exploring, mapping, and documenting deep underwater systems in Florida, Texas, and Missouri, as well as overseas in the Bahamas, the Dominican Republic, and Mexico. Pitkin started cave and technical diving here in the UK in 1994, and in 2007 moved to Florida, where he has taken part in numerous KUR underwater cave exploration projects. And in similar news, one of China's best-known scuba divers has been presumed dead six days after going missing in the deep Chiang Chuang flooded system, uh, cave system uh, in the south of China. Uh, Hang Tin had been building up for a bid to attain a world record depth in the system. A search and rescue team have now reported finding a body, though it has yet to be officially confirmed as his. Hanting went missing after he went on a training dive at about 8pm on the 7th of October. When he didn't return the following morning, his companions uh, alerted rescue services. Members of the Flag Blue Diving Club, founded by Hanting, also joined the rescue operation. On the afternoon of the 11th of October, the dive team involved in the search released a statement saying that Hang had not been found. Uh, divers involved in the search highlighted that the entire rescue operation in the the cave was very difficult uh, due to the great depth. 
and no significant progress had been made neither. Uh, a little bit later on the same day, another announcement was made from the information provided. We know that during a search with a ROV, a little underwater robot, uh, rescuers came across the body of a diver. The diver, unidentified at the moment, was trapped in the cave at a depth of 110 metres. Uh, the rescuers then started preparing a plan to reach the body and bring it to the surface. But as of yet, I, uh, I haven't found a news article to confirm or deny um, whether it was Han or not. So a lot of humbling news. Um, yeah, I've, I've been away for a, a week and I come back looking for news stories and, um, and yeah, two very big um, cave diving uh, names have uh, have been lost. And um, I think I saw another news story in, oh, I think it was Boston, and two very experienced divers went on a very average dive not too not particularly deep um not challenging it was just off the coast and both of them died apparently so a lot of people are uh just trying to work out what might have happened um so yeah stay humble out there obviously um now that the weather's turning in the northern hemisphere it's getting a bit uh, sort of colder uh yeah just make sure that you're, you're being safe and your gears all uh, maintained it's all up to scratch and uh yeah just look after yourselves and your buddies out there and with that, Divers Alert Network Europe have introduced a new service that allows DAN members to call the emergency hotline via the internet or through 4G and 5G and all that. Um, this makes it now possible to contact the alarm center even when like mobile and cellular signal is poor. And it also allows long-distance calls be, to be made without incurring um, excessive costs uh, because you're not dialing up the number. You're just doing it through the uh, the internet, um, unless, of course, you're worried about like roaming charges and whatnot. But anyway, uh, the Alarm Center can be contacted via the Dan Europe app, uh, directly calling the emergency numbers, international and local, on your digital membership card or from the web page dedicated to emergencies. Uh, so yeah, just a new way that you can contact Dan. If you're ever, ever worried about anything, you want some advice, uh, you feel a, an unusual tingle or something, uh, it's always best to, uh, to contact them um, about any kind of diving emergencies. And finally for the news, as we mark the 50th anniversary of the Protection of Wrecks Act 1973 here in the UK, Historic England continues to research new and innovative approaches to reduce the risk and tackle heritage crime at sea. So for the first time in the UK, Historic England is using new technology to forensically mark artifacts, including cannons from some of England's 57 most historic and archaeologically important protected shipwrecks, marking these artifacts gives them even greater protection as they will now be traceable. So if someone does lift them and nick them and then go to sell them, uh, they're literally marked. Um, so the project by Historic England's working with MSDS Marine and the Cultural Heritage Agency of the Netherlands uh, and other partners, is sending a direct message to potential thieves that underwater artifacts such as cannons on protected shipwrecks are basically too hot to handle. So the new approach 
forms part of the Heritage Watch scheme, which aims to prevent and detect heritage crime in local areas and encourages the public to use their eyes and ears to look after our cultural heritage. In 2021, damage to the protected wreck site of the 17th century Dutch warship, the Klein Hollandia, was documented by divers from the Nautical Archaeological Society, which led to a joint decision by the Cultural Heritage Agency of the Netherlands and Historic England to support further investigation of the wreck. They also agreed to continue to work towards new technology to make artifacts traceable, but leaving them in place. So this is a significant uh, this is a significant development in the protection of vulnerable underwater archaeological sites. Mark Harrison, who's the head of Heritage Crime Strategy for Historic England, said this will act as a clear deterrent to those looking to unlawfully lift and remove historic material from protected wreck sites. If someone breaks the law and removes any property, the new markings will give police the ability to link the offender to the crime scene and implements criminal proceedings. So there are several things that they're doing, but there's a new product that's been trialed on dives this summer and is similar to the kind of traceable products used to mark lead on church roofs at risk of theft and uh, trace artifacts back to a particular site. So what they're doing is they're marking these items and artifacts with a very special um, solution that they kind of squeeze onto uh, certain patches of the uh, of the item of the artifact, and this marking is permanent. Obviously, uh, there is a, a more obvious um, uh, can't really think of the word, but like a, a sign that they're attaching to it, which is it literally states this site is forensically marked. Look, but don't touch, uh, and it has information about um, MSDS Marine, Nautical Archaeological Society, and Heritage Watch, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's really obvious that you know what you can look at this, uh, you can take photos, but um, yeah, this item is marked, so there's no point in uh, in lifting it because if you try and sell it, um, then yeah, you can get in some very hot water, and yeah. They're looking to uh, to roll this out further for uh, for more uh, shipwrecks and um, yeah, is because I mean there there were news stories a a few years ago now thinking about it where um, yeah divers were just lifting cannons and uh, and anything else that they that they could basically and then trying to sell it on but yeah as soon as the uh, the police catch wind uh, yeah. They're uh, they're in jail now or prison. I, I never really understood the difference between jail and prison. Um, but yes, um, it's it's a good step forward to uh, to help prevent marine theft of uh, of art, marine artifacts. Onto new equipment and fourth element have a new mask out. Their seeker mask. So this is fourth element's first mask that they've purely designed themselves. I think the previous um, the the scout the navigator. Uh, and the the other one um, weren't one hundred percent them. Whereas this is now what fourth element really want, uh, sort of all in one thing. And it's a smart looking mask, and we tested it out uh, the other week. But Seeker was designed with two main objectives: to maximise the diver's field of vision, to be as close as possible to the experience of not wearing a mask at all, uh, with a single lens, and to basically fit everybody because that's always the main complaint of, oh, I really like this mask, but it doesn't actually fit me. And it doesn't it doesn't look weird 
Um, it, it's a sensible looking mask. Uh, but when we were when we were testing it, one thing that you notice is that you can't see uh, you can't see the top edges of it at all. No matter how hard you you try, basically, um, so it's basically like diving with a sunroof. So you can actually you've got more light coming from the uh, from the top, which is very unusual. Um, it's a, a frameless mask, and it comes in for the three colors. Uh, you get the like gunmetal gray, or just like slate gray, uh, standard black, obviously, and you also get the like petrol blue kind of colorway um oh yeah there is a fourth option which is the the contrast so if you remember the uh, the scout comes with four different lenses the seeker comes with clarity which is their uh, their premium um like optical grade glass and then you get contrast which has a lens treatment that's better for uh like colder greener waters the Seeker comes with a traditional silicone mask strap, like most masks do, uh, but obviously it is uh, compatible with Fourth Elements uh, fabric elastic strap. And um, yeah, if you want to read our review, I'll, uh, I'll pop a link to that down in the description below. Uh, but yeah, it is a good looking mask and it is interesting to see uh, Fourth Element branching out further and they, they really are leaning into the um, like mask fins and snorkel route as opposed to just like exposure protection and bags and stuff. Uh, they're becoming a bit more of a, a comprehensive scuba brand. Uh, they also released, uh, whilst I was away, the um, the updates to their dry suit. So now there's the Argonaut 3.0, um, which um, the main difference that you're going to see is the blue coloration to it. It's the same blue as the, uh, the new Seeker mask. But you do get a choice. Uh, you can have it in standard black or like a gray a uh, lighter blue and then a uh, darker blue and you can choose different colors on the top and the bottom so that gives you a, a bit of choice there are a few upgrades on it um, they changed the tailoring on the legs that seems to be the main upgrade to uh, to allow for greater flexibility and movement in the water uh, they've tweaked the tailoring to the uh, the top side as well just to make it a bit more comfortable and practical uh, upgraded or just different valves i think they've got apollo valves on them now uh, you probably do get a choice but yeah apollo are now available and dry glove ring systems uh you get a few different um, choices now instead of just the uh, the standards uh cytec uh quick cuff system qcs yeah quick cuff system um now there's a, a new one which i've forgotten the name of it um but you get uh, you get a choice otherwise similar to uh, to what you know um they chose their stealth fabric which is lightweight but hard wearing and has a good combination of stretch and li uh, lightweight durability whilst the flex fabric is uh, is specially engineered for durability and comfort uh, to create a uh, really rugged suit that lasts forever so yeah a couple new things from fourth element that's always exciting to see Otherwise, pretty quiet as far as new uh, new scuba gear. Uh, it was really those two uh, two things being quite um, uh, being released this week, or at least last week. Um, we do have a, a survey. We uh, we want to know your opinion, and there's a little incentive. Um, it's basically a um, a reader survey. We want to know what uh, what 
you wonderful scuba divers uh, get up to and what you want to see in our uh, our magazine on the YouTube channel and yeah in the in the podcast if you want any uh, changes um yeah it only takes about 5 10 minutes uh, it's completely anonymous and if you want to you can enter to win a uh, a, a shearwater Terek uh, dive computer um it's um yeah basically if you fill out the uh, the survey and obviously, you want to uh, to enter the uh, the competition, uh, then yeah, you can win a um, a Shearwater Terek. Uh, the survey is running up until the end of the year, so you've got until December thirty first, twenty twenty three, uh, to uh, to put your survey through. Um, but yeah, good luck if you're um, uh, if you're taking part. Onto questions, uh, ask Mark questions that, um, that that are a bit too short to uh, to make a full video on. Um, Mark Gardner eight 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 one says hi, Mark. Thanks. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Any chance you can do a video on how to clean the inside of a dry suit? Uh, mine is a neoprene one. Uh, if that makes a difference, um, yeah, just soap. Um, give give it a, a good wash. Uh, it's more about like drying and airing it. Um, so if it's neoprene, chances are it's got integrated boots. So you want to hang it upside down and a lot of divers build a little frame. I say little, um, build a frame out of like PVC pipe, like old guttering. Well, probably not old guttering It's best to use new. Um, and if you like rig it up and drill holes in, uh, in, key areas and then blow warm air it can just yeah flush uh all of that uh that moisture out but yeah you you want something that's uh like a detergent that's antimicrobial anti-fungal and um and yeah give give it a it's quite hard to scrub the inside of a suit um so make a nice like warmy solution pour it in uh, it is going to take a, a few days to um, to dry out properly, depending on um, on what method you're you're using. But yeah, just something like a good detergent. You can get like wetsuit and dry suit shampoo, which is antifungal and antimicrobial. Uh, wash that, make that up a, a nice warm solution of that. Throw that in the suit. Um, give it a scrub if you can um like get your arms in there down to the feet and everything and uh, and kind of give it a, a sensible scrub and um yeah then um, hang it upside down ideally so that all the uh, the moisture from the boots can go down and uh, and drip dry through you don't have to worry too much about the valves or anything because they're all waterproof on the inside and the outside um and yeah, just look after your your seals, your your cuff seals and your neck seals. Um, I'd probably take the valves off if you're if you're giving it a full clean. Then you might as well go like full on and uh, and give them a good like flush through just to make sure there's no uh, no salt or verdigris or anything building up inside of them. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it mainly comes down to drying. So uh, so hang it up upside down ideally and if you can get some kind of airflow running through it there are a few different um like wetsuit dry suit hangers that have fans built into them the main one uh, the one that we used to sell at simply scuba was called the hang air uh, there are others available now you um, you see more and more on like social media and all that kind of stuff um i can't comment on uh, on their effectability effectability is that word um effectiveness um i can't comment because i've only ever used hang air and um yeah it's just a really broad coat hanger 
and it has a fan built into the like neck. So you hang it up, you plug it in, and it just blows air continually into the suit, and that helps to like dehumidify it and get all the moisture out. Uh, but yeah, you've got to kill the nasties, and they get into all the little nooks and crannies. Uh, so make up a nice warm soapy solution, and um, and yeah, really sort of flood the suit and then uh, then hang it up to dry. Michael uh, Krautvar says, Hi Mark, what about those multi-layer materials such as Mara's Ultra Skin? Uh, can they be considered as a substitute for thinner neoprene or are they more like rash guards with some added thermal protection? Uh, I'm looking for some 2 to 3 mil gloves and hood and these Ultra Skins look like interesting options. Uh, yeah, it's um, we, we've got quite a few of these neoprene alternatives now. Um, it's started with oh well i say it started with my career um that i was aware of i think it started with um thermo no not yeah it must have been thermocline from fourth elements uh then there was lava core and shark skin obviously uh maris have ultra skin which is similar so um yeah, they are, most divers find them equivalent to about two or three mil gloves. So you're pretty much on the um, uh, on the ball here with them. Uh, so yeah, it, it's a good neoprene alternative and they're effective and they're, they're useful on the surface as well because they're windproof and uh, yeah, they, they help to, uh, to keep your hands warm. You can wear them as wet gloves. You can wear them as a dry glove liner as well, which is handy. So they're a great all-rounder. Whereas neoprene gloves, they can get a bit um, like sweaty if you wear them on the surface. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're definitely a, a good option. Underwater Sojourns 2581, I think is how you break up that um, that handle. Um, but they say, uh, I'd like to ask, how are you keeping your transmitter safe from being grabbed like a handle or being physically damaged in general? I wanted to know if there are other or better ways of doing it. Mine is currently attached to a six inch hose and bent and tucked inwards using a bungee cord. Thanks for answering. Um, yeah, you basically found it. I mean, that's the usual thing. You can attach your transmitter directly onto the first stage to minimize failure points. But if you're not the one handing your gear, a lot of um, like boat handlers and uh, and divers go straight for like the tank valve, and it's quite easy for them just to grab onto your transmitter. And if you if you put all of the weight of that BCD with like integrated weights as well uh, is really easy just to uh, just to snap that transmitter off or at least um, uh, bruise those uh, those threads. So um, yeah, six inch hose is usually the uh, the recommendation. Uh, bunging it rounds is quite handy to prevent it from like flapping around and banging against stuff. But that's pretty much it. Unfortunately, you can get some high pressure quick disconnects. Um, which, of course, it has to be depressurized to be able to de disconnect it, uh, so it wouldn't be like in the water something you can do. Um, but yeah, that's that's really it. You've um, you've already found it is like attach it to a short hose. That way, it's flexible, 
So even if someone does grab at it, it's uh, it's going to move and it's not going to uh, to put too much uh, like strain or stress on those threads. Uh, you could put it on a really long hose uh, that would help with any uh, connectivity issues because they do have fairly limited ranges. And if it is tucked away, sometimes you can get a little bit of interference. But uh, touch wood, I've never had an issue having on a, a six inch hose uh, that that really is your your best option. And finally, Energy Energy ZLP uh, says, I bought the Aqualung i770R dive computer uh, used. So unfortunately, it's difficult to exchange. Yeah, Um, seems to have a problem on the surface. It showed 33 degrees, whereas uh, only had 22 degrees. in the water, it shows much too warm temperatures for the first 20 minutes. After 20 minutes, the temperature display is correct uh, compared to a separate dive computer, an i330R and a, Sion, uh, a Sunto Eon Core. Do you have any idea what could be causing this common failure? How can I fix it? Warranty is over. Uh, the latest firmware is on its uh, water type is set correctly. Um, I've personally never found thermometers on dive computers to be particularly accurate um half of the time they're picking up your body heat uh if they're mounted directly onto your wrist uh other times it takes so long for the sense to pick up the temperature because of all of the like protection around it um and it's it's not overly important for me to know the um i suppose it is a little bit important um but no, it is fairly common. I, I've lost count the number of divers who have said, "Oh, my dive computer, um, the uh, the temperature is different to uh, to what it actually is." Uh, it's unusual to have like ten degrees out. I'm assuming that's centigrade if it's thirty three and twenty two degrees centigrade. Um, but yeah, ten degrees is pretty high. Normally, it will be like two or three off, which. It is a little bit excusable when it's 10 degrees it's kind of annoying but it doesn't affect anything it's it's more of just like your logbook it's going to it's going to throw out a little bit um i i don't think there's anything you can do to to recalibrate it and i imagine even if you send it back to aqualung or any other uh dive computer manufacturer you'll be hard going for them to um uh, to recalibrate it because i think that sensor is like built into the uh, built into the, uh, the the microchips and all that kind of stuff so um no i just kind of live with it as long as you know that it's kind of off then fine but um it, I don't think I've ever looked at the uh, the temperature and like freaked out because it's incorrect on my uh, on my dive computer. It just it is what it is basically. And that's it for another week. Uh, thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, remember to head over to our website, scubadivermag.com. Check out all our awesome news and gear reviews. Um, yeah, all of the links to uh, anything I've spoken about today are going to be down in the description below. Uh, I say down as if this is a video. Uh, I mean, it is going out on YouTube, but if you're listening to this as a podcast, uh, I don't really know where the description is. Um, but yeah, it, any links will be in the description. Uh, of course, remember to like, share, subscribe, do all that good social media stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, head over to our YouTube channel, subscribe there and check out all of my latest videos. Uh, otherwise, yeah, thank you for listening, everybody. And of course, safe diving.